There you go. It's going. All right, good. Again, good morning. Good to see you today. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to read James chapter 1, 1 through 8. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven from the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And the Lord will add his blessings to the reading of his precious word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together, for allowing us to meet here together on this Lord's Day. And for giving me strength, I pray that you would help me, please. My voice will hold out, that we'll be able to go through this lesson, and we'll profit from it, that we'll learn and grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for all the folks faithfully being here this morning. Maybe there's some others that are on their way. We pray for their safety. And uh, we do pray that you would bless this day. May it bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Did you know that um, happiness or joy is a rare commodity? Not much of it's around today. In fact, it's almost extinct. I want to read you something I read recently this week. Our, Our economic scene does not promote happiness. Homes and property have never been more expensive. The promise of tomorrow, the promises of tomorrow have never been more bleak than at this present hour. There is an international famine that seems to be spreading. The crime rate has come to an all-time high. Illegitimacy, rape, pornography, child battering, drug abuse, political scandals, malpractice, charges, Uh, marital infidelity, energy, and ecological crisis add heavy weights to the thin wires of our sanity. Someone has dubbed our time the aspirin age. A quite accurate description. Hospitals have never been more expensive or overcrowded. It is a documented fact that over half of those occupying hospital beds are there because of mental or emotional disorders. People in healthcare professions are also extremely alarmed over the, growing, um, over the growing suicide rate. It is now one of the major causes of death. Even the young cannot cope. Suicide is the number two cause of death among young adults. Add to these woes the ingredients of discouragement, the epidemic of divorce, and a breakdown of child training Mix into that the problems connected with our religious scene, the international tensions, 
as they relate to Israel and the Arab states, not to mention the turmoil in Africa and the threat of Red China. That was written 45 years ago. Not much has changed. There's a book by Charles Swindoll, Hand Me Another Brick. It's about Nehemiah and leadership. But anyway, 45 years ago in 1978, he wrote that. So, we uh, have looked at our text this morning. In our previous lesson, we saw in verses 2 through 4 uh, the matter of rejoicing under pressure. We can rejoice regardless of what's happening in this world. Amen? Amen. Were any of you under pressure this week, by the way? Yes. Lots of smiles. Huh? I had a sick person. You had a sick person. Yes, she had, she had a very sick person in her house. That's a lot of pressure. Right, ladies? That's a lot of pressure. Did you rejoice? I did this morning because you're feeling better. I like putting her on the spot. So, you know, Christians who are experiencing various kinds of trials or, or tests can and should rejoice even in the midst of our circumstances, whatever they are. And I know from personal experience that uh, it's easy to say, but boy, sometimes it's hard to put into practice, isn't it? So, <clears throat> James exhorts us uh, in, in verse 2 to rejoice in our trials. In other words, count it all joy. Just be joyful. Uh, realize that everyone has trials. He says, when ye fall. And then he said, not only rejoice in our trials, not only realize that everyone has trials, but remember that trials are tests. They're tests, all right? He says, divers, temptations, various, different. They come in various ways. In verses 3 through 4, uh, we saw that trials have a purpose. They purify our character. They not only purify our character, but they perfect us and they strengthen us. And they also produce patience down here and they promise rewards up there. All this we're going through is just getting us ready for the rewards that the God has for us. James reminds his brethren, the Jewish Christians, uh, who've been scattered throughout the Mediterranean area, and, uh, and he reminds us, that we are to rejoice in, not for necessarily, but in our circumstances. Whatever situation we're in, we're to rejoice that, 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 that He is going to bring us through these things. Knowing our human weakness and frailty, He now tells us in verse 5 uh, that, <clears throat> pardon me, that assistance is available to handle the trials of life. Well, I'm glad God just doesn't you know, there's some people who think that, okay, God put everything into motion and, and now he just, he just, he's taking his hands off of this world and he's just sitting back and just taking it easy now and letting this world run its course. That's not true. God has made available for us a way, a way to handle uh, the trials of life. So, if we are to count them all joy, then we must have help from outside of ourselves, not within and, and James calls this help wisdom, okay? And this morning I want to answer the following questions. What is wisdom? 
How would you define wisdom? Someone. God given. God given. All right. God given. Huh? God given knowledge. All right. Um, who needs wisdom? Why do we need wisdom? Think of these. Why does or where does wisdom come from? How do we get wisdom? How much wisdom is available? Class is over. You answered all the questions. You know, the dictionary defines wisdom as, quote, the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. The quality of being wise. Well, the biblical teaching, however, goes further than that. You see, wisdom is God's perspective on things, how he views life. It's not about how we view it. It's about how God sees things, his perspective of this world. One author said this, wisdom is the ability to judge and evaluate sorrow and joy from God's standpoint. To view from God's perspective what comfort and pain mean. And if we look strictly from man's perspective, we will not respond in a godly way to pressures that these bring upon us. He goes on to say, this wisdom is the ability to know that in the midst of everything, God will work out that which is best for us. That no experience will defeat us or separate us from his love. Isn't that good? Another author said this, quote, Wisdom is the God-given insight into our human circumstances and situations that enables a man to see God's will coupled with a wholehearted desire to see it done. How many of you know who this old gentleman is? Anybody recognize him? Who is that, Sam? Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Called him the Prince of Preachers from England. Pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England. And, um, excuse me, this is what he said about wisdom. Wisdom is the right use. First of all, he said wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Now listen, listen very carefully. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. You see, many men, and I'm quoting him, many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. And then he said, to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. That's what wisdom is. It's not knowledge. It's not accumulating facts and and, and information. But it's how to use that knowledge. That's what wisdom is. And um, in Ephesians uh, 1 and verse 17, there's a word used there. Well, let's look at that. Ephesians 1, 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom 
and revelation in the knowledge of him. That word revelation there is knowledge uh, that uh, God and only God imparts through his word. Wisdom is the application of that knowledge to daily living. And the combined effect is a humble attitude towards God's word that couples you to, uh, that compels you to learn it and to integrate it into every aspect of your life. I want us to notice this morning some facts about God's assistance, all right? And the first thing is this, there is a shortage of wisdom. Would you agree with me there? There is a shortage of wisdom. We all have a great lack of wisdom. Anyone here needs wisdom? Yes? We all do. Is there anyone who doesn't need wisdom? Notice the first thing James says in verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom. He's not saying that only some of us may need it here. You see, there's a universal shortage of biblical wisdom. And the truth is that everyone in this world desperately needs it. And we just have to look at the current events and look at this world and what's going on in just our own country. And we see the lack of wisdom, don't we? The lack of using knowledge. Another author said this, quote, Wisdom is much more than knowledge. Much more than intellectual ability. Much more than cleverness or education. Many people with those attributes have found them totally inadequate to deal with life's deepest problems or provide them with the power to deal with spiritual spiritual issues. So each of us, I believe, must realize that we we lack wisdom um, to endure the daily trials. I think we ought to begin today by maybe just praying something, Dear God, you you know my lack of wisdom. You know how much I need your wisdom today. Help me to make the right choices, to make wise choices. Now, why do we need wisdom uh, when we are going through trials? Well, I believe that we need wisdom so that we will not waste the opportunities that God gives us to mature. And this is what James is about. Remember, it's about me being mature, being a mature Christian. Wisdom helps us understand how to use these circumstances for our good and for God's glory. Wisdom is necessary for endurance for patience. In verse 4, James says that patience, notice verse 4, he says, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And uh, so James, uh, he, he says wisdom is necessary for endurance, for patience, um, when we allow it to do its work. It will develop a thorough, mature Christian who lacks nothing. And I think that we need wisdom, certainly because left to our own sinful nature, um, we will do unwise things. Anybody ever done an unwise, you don't have to answer, made an unwise decision? You did an unwise thing? We all have. And you know what? Without God's wisdom, certainly we will not make good choices. Uh, We will make foolish decisions. Our human nature does not have this kind of wisdom, and we're incapable of right decisions by uh, relying on our human uh, reasoning. Every Christian 
Every Christian, regardless who they are, regardless how long you've been saved, at some point in your life, has you had pressure, uh, discouragement, and uh, disappointment. Trials for which we need God's wisdom. We do not have the necessary resources to cope with life's problems and pressures. But God does. I'm glad that He does. Here's another fact. The source of wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? You know, that's the question that Job asked. In Job chapter 28. Would somebody... uh, Doug, would you read that please? Yeah. Uh, Job chapter 28. Verse 12 through 18. That's okay. And what, what verse? Uh, verses 12 through 18. Okay. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man knoweth not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. The depth saith, it, it is not in me, and the sea saith, it is not with me. It cannot be gotten for gold. Neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. It cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir and the precious points or the sapphire. The gold and the crystal cannot equal it, and the exchange of it shall not be for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of pearls, for the price of wisdom is above isn't that precious? Well, that that's, encapsulates it in a nutshell, doesn't it? He tells us where not to find wisdom. And James tells us the source of wisdom is in verse 5. He says, and if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him ask of God. So, yes, sir. You, you are correct, Doug. And I'm going to listen to this verse I'm going to read here in a minute. Wisdom is not found in universities or schools of higher learning. Sorry. You can tell these professors and, and uh, doctors and so on that wisdom is not found there in their institutions. The wisdom James speaks of is not just information or education and training. Okay, It, it is not the accumulation of knowledge. You can, you can have all the, you, you can have more degrees than a thermometer, and still be ignorant. You'll get that in a minute. You cannot take a course on wisdom. There's no university of higher learning in, uh, or anywhere that where you can take a course in wisdom. It is only found in the Word of God. And Paul says, listen to this verse. Paul says in Second Timothy three verse seven that men are ever learning and never able to come into the knowledge of the truth. Now there's, that, that's, I mean, that's it in a nutshell there too, isn't it? Ever learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So, the book of James has been called the, uh, the Proverbs of the New Testament. Because like Proverbs, it emphasizes wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is devoted to the pursuit of wisdom. And it describes and defines wisdom 
as the ability to live in a fashion that's pleasing to God. All of our treasures of wisdom and knowledge expressed in Proverbs are hidden in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said in Colossians 2 and verse 3, speaking of the Lord Jesus, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And you know what? In, in its most perfect sense, wisdom is Jesus. Now the word wisdom is mentioned, in case you were wondering, 54 times in the book of Proverbs. And uh, you can go through and just begin, as you read through Proverbs, maybe circle it or underline how many times the word wisdom is used in many, many verses beginning in chapter 1, 1 through 5. Patience to endure the trials of life can only come from God's wisdom, found, of course, in His Word. And James says that wisdom must be sought from God. True wisdom always originates with God. Here's another fact. Not only is there a shortage of wisdom, and we see the source of wisdom, but there's the securing of wisdom. All right? How, how do we get wisdom? It's very simple. Ask. One word. Let him ask of God. We must ask, but we must ask the right source. Okay? We must ask for it. And asking for wisdom, I believe, should be part of our prayer life. Uh, the problem is that we don't have wisdom because... In James 4.2, he says, you have not because you ask not. And that only, not only deals with wisdom, but in many, many areas of our Christian life. We have not because we just don't ask. Are you with me so far? Yes, sir. All right. Christians who have a faith that works, and remember that's what we're studying here, a faith that works, will ask God for wisdom to handle their trials to be able to rejoice while under pressure. And uh, you know what? When we ask for it, he gives it to us. What does he say? Who giveth to all men. Of course, that's generic. He gives all women also. I think us men maybe need more wisdom than our wives do sometimes, right? How do we ask for it? Well, verses 6 through 8, he tells us. First of all, in faith. We should ask with a confident trust in a sovereign God. Okay? Verse 6 through 8. Let's read it again. And let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. <clears throat> Pardon me. Now, um, and of course that means in verse 6 there it says in, without wavering. You see that? Without wavering. Now, it, it means, it means uh, without doubting. Without doubting. Because you see, if we doubt God, He will not answer us. And that's true of whatever it is we come to Him with. In Romans chapter 14, verse 23, it says, Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. And so throughout his letter, James uses illustrations that he draws, that he has drawn from nature. Okay, for instance here, a double-minded man, he says, is like a wave of the sea. How many of you have been to the ocean? How many of you have ever been in the ocean? All right. 
Yeah. I can remember years ago when I was just a little fella. Just a few years ago. When I was a little fella. We lived in California, Los Angeles area. And I remember one day, and I hope nobody's listening. Um, one day my brothers and I decided not to go to school. You remember what they called that back then? Yeah, they, yeah, what? Ditching. Ditching school. Somebody else? Truancy. There was another word. That's it. Who said that? <laughs> Plain hooky. And so one day we decided to take our bikes. We lived in Whittier, California. I don't think I've ever shared this. And, and, and we got on our bikes one day, decided school wasn't for us that day. And we went down to Long Beach and, uh, with, the, with the intent of swimming. And it was kind of a blustery day. And I remember getting out there, and I got caught by a wave. And, of course, you know, the waves go in and out, in and out. And that's what I was doing. And I was under the wave. And you know what? Ever since then, and, and, and thank God that I didn't uh, uh, succumb to Davy Jones' locker. But uh, I remember coming out of there, and I said, I'll never go in the ocean again. And I don't think I've ever been back, Tim. I mean, that, that put the fear of God in me. But the waves, they, they come in and they go out. And James says that's the way that an unstable man is. He's just like the wave of the sea. He's in and out. In and out. One day he's up here, and another day he's down here. In truth, isn't that the Christian life many times? Isn't that, Brother Sam, sometimes we're way up here on the mountaintop, and other times we're down in the valley. Well, we're not to be like that. We're not to stay there. And uh, so he says that, uh, that uh, a man who doubts is like a restless wave. He's tossed to and fro by the wind. A man or a woman who does not pray out of faith is a wavering person. And he or she is unstable in all of their ways. And they should not expect anything from God. That's what he says in verse 7. For let not that man or woman think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Why should we, why should God answer our prayers if we doubt? If we're in and out. If we're doubting his word and his promises. When we ask God for wisdom, uh, we should not be double-minded as he says in verse 8. And that word double-minded is an interesting word. It means to have two souls going in two different directions. To be pulled in two opposite directions. To be unsettled. And it's the same word that is used in chapter 4 and verse 8. In chapter 4 verse 8 he says, Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands ye sinners. And purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Person having two souls. And that's not possible. So, a double-minded man or a person is unsettled in all of his or her ways. And one moment, like I said, he's up. The next, he's down. Like the restless sea, he's never really settled. Every decision that he makes is uncertain. And he's not sure of anything. He is a fickle person. Constantly changing and undecisive, indecisive. Every trial that comes their way brings confusion and despair. And such a person who doesn't pray in faith has an unstable relationship with God. 
and is unstable in everything that he does, and he cannot please God. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Melody, would you read that, please? Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Thank you. All right? Without faith, it's what? Impossible. Impossible to please God. You cannot please God without faith. Now then, let's look at, uh, again, facts about God's assistance. And the fourth thing is this, the sufficiency of wisdom. The sufficiency. Uh, Does God have enough, does God have an adequate amount to give? And how much is available? James tells us three things in verse 5. First of all, he tells us that God gives not just to some men, but to all men and women and young people who will ask him. Wisdom is not just for a few or just for a selected group, but, but for all of God's children. Second thing, God gives liberally. He gives bountifully, generously. He's the kind of Heavenly Father we have. He's a generous God, isn't He? He gives us bountifully all that we have need of. And because that is His nature, His nature is to give. Didn't He do that in John 3.16? For God what so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He... Our God is the giving God. And He gives out of a heart of love for His children. And everything that He gives, by the way, is good. Verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God gives us abundantly more than we ask or think. Listen to Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him, who, unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. And then the third thing is this. God does not reproach us. Aren't you glad? He doesn't, he, he, listen, it says, upbraideth not. Who giveth, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. In verse 5. And uh, he doesn't, listen, he doesn't scold us. That's what that word means. He, he doesn't scold us for asking. Or, or, or because uh, we cannot understand the trials that we are experiencing. Uh, he doesn't get upset if we come too often. Any, anybody here go to the Lord this morning? I hope you did. How many times today have you gone to the Lord already? He never gets tired of you coming, of us coming to Him. Never. He doesn't scold us. He, do, he doesn't chastise us for coming. And He doesn't do that. He, he doesn't get upset if we come too often. He never grows weary of our coming. He doesn't get irritated because of our persistent request. How many of you parents, let's be honest now, how many of us sometimes have gotten upset when some of our children have come 
repeatedly asking for something over and over and over again. Sometimes we may get a little upset with them, but our Heavenly Father never gets upset with us when we come to Him. What an example we have. We can never ask Him for too much. Listen to what uh, John Newton said. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. We can never ask God for too much. Amen? So, in closing, let me ask you. Do you recognize uh, your lack of wisdom? I trust that you do. We all do. We all should. And... uh, are we willing to come to God and ask Him for this wonderful gift that He's provided for us, wisdom? And the Christian who fails to ask for God's assistance for wisdom in handling the trials of life will be, first of all, unsuccessful. You want to be successful for the Lord? Ask Him for wisdom. He'll be unsuccessful, unable to get answers to His prayers and not making any progress in his Christian walk. Secondly, he will be uncertain, unable to make any wise decisions. And then thirdly, he will be unsteady, unable, unstable in all of his ways. You know, wisdom, like salvation, is a gift from God. And wisdom, like salvation, cannot be earned. It must be asked for. You don't automatically become a Christian because you're born into a Christian family. Just because your parents were Christians doesn't mean that you are. I've met so many people who say, when I ask them, are you Christian? Oh yes, I was born into a Christian home. Or yes, my, my, my spouse is a Christian. But that doesn't make you a Christian. Have you ever asked God for wisdom to handle the trials of life? And more importantly, have you ever asked Him to save you? Have you ever asked Him to forgive you of your sin of unbelief and to give you His gift of eternal life through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, if not, if you've never done that, why don't you do that this morning before it's eternally too late? One day, the day of grace will be past and you'll not have another opportunity. Only in this day and age of grace. And so if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, why not do that today? That would be the most important decision that you have ever made. Amen? Amen. And then, make this your prayer. You remember what the prayer was before? What was, it? what was the prayer we had before? Dear Lord, please give me what? What? Patience. Patience. No, what we need to ask God for is wisdom. Let's ask Him for wisdom every day. Wisdom to use the knowledge that He's given us in His precious Word. Amen. And I trust that that will encourage you and help you uh, this week, help all of us in making right uh, decisions. I want to like to encourage you, uh, Wednesday night we're going to be beginning, I'll be beginning, the Lord willing, a series on Psalm 23. I don't know if you've ever studied Psalm 23. It's a beautiful psalm. It's called... Uh, many have called it the Pearl of Psalms. And uh, this psalm is about the Great Shepherd's Song. Let me give you a hint about this, all right? Did you know, and 
Take time to read Psalm 23 this week. And you will find out, who do you think is speaking in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. It's not the shepherd speaking. The sheep is speaking. The Lord is my shepherd. And uh, that's just one little tidbit I'll give you there. But I want to encourage you to be here Wednesday night, 6 o'clock, beginning this week. And we'll have about a nine-week course, the Lord willing, on Psalm 23. And I think you're going to find it amazing that we have such a great shepherd. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.